When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. My guest today on Stories Connect People podcast is Jamie Lassner. Jamie is a hero in many ways. He will begin by sharing a little bit about his experience being injured in the attacks on the World Trade Center when he was serving as an emergency medical technician. We will come back to that closer to September when we'll do another podcast. But today, Jamie serves as the Executive Director of Friends of Access Israel where he and the organization focus on accessibility and inclusion for people with disabilities. If you listen to the podcast number 33 with Ruth Willett, where we talked about the Shanga organization in Arusha, Tanzania, you will remember we talked about a man who made the climb to Mount Kilimanjaro possible for one of the Shanga employees, Masu. Jamie will share how this dream for Masood came about, Masood's climb, and what that meant for so many, and how Masood is going to be Jamie's very own guide in his return trek to reach the peak. Jamie's passion for advocating for people with disabilities started at a young age. His family was a family that supported others and gave back. Many years later, his friend Alan was critically injured in an accident, leaving him wheelchair-bound. They are still great friends today, and I love their story. This only fueled Jamie's passion for helping others. Today, he is making a difference in the lives of so many. Friends of Access Israel focuses on awareness, advocacy, education, and inclusion. You will love Jamie's story, his passion, and everything that his mission is about. Welcome, Jamie, to Stories Connect People podcast. Hello, Jamie. How are you today? Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. How are you, Polly? So glad to be uh, part of this amazing podcast. Thank you so much. Well, I am so excited to connect with you, Jamie. The Stories Connect People podcast is all about people who are inspiring and interesting and uplifting and who are doing great things to make the world a better place. And I cannot tell you how much that uh, you align 
with what the podcast is about. And so when um, we were connected uh, through Ruth, I had interviewed Ruth a, a few weeks ago. Um, we talked about the Shanga uh, Foundation, and she was amazing. And the listeners uh, may remember towards the end of the podcast, we started talking about this guy, Jamie. And so I said, well, sounds like that I need to have Jamie on. So here we are today. So Jamie is the executive director of an organization that's called Friends of Access Israel, and he is going to share all about the organization with us. But um, basically, it is um, an organization whose mission is focused on helping to create opportunities for people who are um, with disabilities and, and helping them from an accessibility standpoint be able to experience things that they may otherwise never be able to experience. And he'll tell us all about that. But Jamie, I mean, you have such a interesting uh, background and the work that you're doing is so moving and meaningful. And I'm so glad to bring the story to our listeners today. So thank you again for being here. So why don't we start by you just sharing a little bit about you, maybe where you grew up, anything about your earlier career, your life that you would like to share, and then we'll go from there. Sure, I'd, I'd love to do that. Um, I was born in Bogota, Colombia. My parents were working there for 10 years. Thereafter, I came to the United States where my parents were from. Uh, grew up here in New York City. While here in the city, I went to high school here, college here, and then uh, started trading commodities for about 22 years, did recycling and reclamation. And then uh, 9 11 struck, and I have been, as of today, 36 years of volunteer. On, uh, on an ambulance and was injured on 9-11, suffered PTSD on 9-11. And the psychologist helped me through my PTSD and made me realize that commodities isn't everything and making money isn't everything. And I, um, after a couple of years of uh, PTSD uh, and some therapy and so on, I started working in a school as a director of student life, a great five years of my life where I was able to introduce um, the world uh, to students, uh, bringing people from all walks of life to meet these amazing students, um, and then was given an opportunity uh, via a friend, which is part of the story, uh, to start Friends of Access Israel, or as we call it, FASER, F-A-I-S-R, which is our well, that's so incredible. And I have never met anyone that is a 9-11 survivor. And so I may have you back on the podcast um, toward, you know, maybe closer to September, if you would be willing to absolutely come back and talk about that. I mean, I've always been so interested in I mean, just so moved by it and just the survivors. And, and so I'm so thankful that you're here. And But I can imagine what a life-changing experience that has to be. And I will gladly talk about 9-11, but more importantly, how one gets out of uh, a hole called PTSD and, and how one looks at a brighter world. Uh, it has enhanced my life to have gone, in a sense, through that. Um, through PTSD because I have learned how to cope and deal a lot better than some of my friends are. So you have this passion for helping people create more of an inclusion for people that um, have access issues. 
When did that start for you? And how has that evolved? Um, just, in, I guess, in, in terms of the opportunities it has created, was there something that was a um, catalyst for you to start, you know, just just really focusing on this? So the answer is yes. First and foremost, uh, I grew up with uh, a mother and father. My mother is still alive. My father passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and grandparents, in-laws, and grandparents-in-law um, that were uh, ingrained in me uh, the importance of community service and, and uh, the importance of uh, helping one's brother and sister. And with that, I also went to a school where I had a, uh, a rabbi who uh, teaching um, the importance of taking care of our brothers and to being our, our brothers and sisters keeper. Um, and that was ingrained in me. 33 years ago and one week ago, um, my friend Alan Brown was uh, in a, uh, an accident down in Martinique, a spinal cord, had a spinal cord injury. And that took me for, for a hit. He was, uh, he is one of my rock. Uh, we are two peas in a pod. Um, his partner and my wife do not like the fact that we get together because we are trouble when we get together. And the story basically starts with uh, his first public occasion was my wedding. Uh, so he came to my wedding. He danced in his wheelchair at my wedding. Uh, and we have been best friends since and we've gone through the ups and downs of life together um fast forward to just over three years ago he was on a phone call with uh, the executive director of access israel in israel via the commissioner of disability and accessibility here in new york uh, for new york city and they were talking uh, about accessibility inclusivity ag advocacy Michal, CEO in Israel, says to Alan, hey, why don't you come to Israel? And she's, you know, he says, I'm in a wheelchair. Israel's not accessible. She goes, what are you talking about? Israel is one of the most accessible countries in the world. Come visit. He hadn't been to Israel in many, many years. And he went to Israel. And he calls me from Israel. And he says, it's unbelievable. I'm getting to see everything you get to see. I said, I said is, yeah, is it accessible? He goes, yeah, I'm in the old city of Jerusalem. Accessible. I'm in... Uh, climbing the wall, the, the, the hills of Jerusalem in a special trekker. And he was telling me everything that he was doing, sending me pictures. Fast forward a year later, he calls me back. I'm here for another one. It, you know, this time they're having a conference and I'm at the conference and I'm a speaker and there's thousands of people from all over the world. It's amazing. Great. I'm like, okay, Alan, I'm in the middle of school. You know, like I was, I was excited for him and thrilled for him, but you know, almost selfishly saying, okay, you know, I know where you're visiting. And then he says, oh, I've got some news for you. We're starting an organization in the United States and you're going to run it. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, I think we should start a Friends of Access Israel, um, do exactly what they do, which is advocate for people with disabilities, educate. So they go to schools and educate people on uh, sensitizing them to people with disabilities. And they also do something called Feast of the Senses, uh, which is where you sit in a room and you sensitize people to people with disabilities by putting them in a position of disability, whether it's blindfolding them, putting earphones on their head, and so on. Um, 
So you had um, this opportunity that your friend Alan um, brought to you. And so did you did you get started right away? So Alan came back from Israel um, and, you know, we had a, a talk about it. I said, it sounds amazing. It sounds great. But, you know, I've got to learn more about it. Uh, right now, I'm in a fabulous job. Um, the job that you're presenting sounds great, but I want to be clear. We had a couple of phone conversations. And then that summer uh, was uh, two years ago was my 30th anniversary. Went to Italy first. Uh, and then went to Israel um, for our anniversary and uh, spent two days near their offices, had meetings with them. And then I think we had one more conversation, but just meeting them, meeting the head of it, uh, Yuval Wagner, who's just an incredible human being, uh, and meeting the rest of the crew. I was I was sold. I went from a a what I would say is a, a position of being an administrator in a school and running programs to literally to a global position um, where we're running global programs together uh, with our offices in Israel, uh, collaborating with them on various programs, and then doing programs on our own. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do, uh, and I made clear from the get-go, is um, I have post 9-11, certain things that I wanted to do and accomplish, um, and certain things stopped me from accomplishing those things. Um, so everybody has those. I, I after 9-11, had uh, several bucket list items that I wanted to do. And I said to them, uh, you know, part of this is, you know, obviously we have to fundraise, uh, which we have people doing. Uh, I'm running, I want to run the organization and make it um, well-known that people can come to us and meet some of their bucket list items. So immediately after nine, uh, my, my treatment for 9-11, or not immediately, about eight years later, uh, I started, uh, because of some of the medications that were given to me uh, on uh, for my depression, um, I gained a tremendous amount of weight uh, and now um, decided I have to lose weight. So I've done marathons, triathlons, half marathons. So here I am with an opportunity after doing all this. And I said, I want to do the same thing for people who have disabilities. They can do it. I don't view people as people with disabilities. Everybody has abilities. Um, Polly, you and I have probably 10,000 things in common. There's probably one thing that you and I don't have in common that not everybody's exactly the same. And I look at the positive in somebody. I look at the ability in somebody. And I said, I want to do crazy things. And that's the way we left it. And we started, uh, we started Friends of Access Israel in the United States uh, a year ago, uh, more than a year, a year and a half ago in Israel on the grounds of uh, the presidential home in, in the presence of President Rivlin. Um, it was the 20th anniversary of Access Israel, and it was an opportunity for, the, uh, for us to start. So we started then. Uh, we've, we got an incredible um, message from the president, as well as marching orders, that this is not something that affects just Israelis, just Americans, and various other countries. Um, disability has no borders, 
and therefore ability has no borders. And we have to show the world that we can make everything accessible, inclusive, uh, etc. That's incredible, uh, by the way. Are you uh, bringing people outside of the U.S. into the U.S. for them to have opportunities here, as well as taking people from the U.S. to other places in the world uh, so they can you know, live out their bucket list items? So th- that's, a, that, that's a great question. Uh, we are, it's part of what we do. And I would say it's a small part of what we do, the bucket list items. But because of what we do, and um, as I've been told, the ins- insanity of what we do, it has grabbed more of the, the press than anything else. Um, so we uh, in two weeks, we'll have our seventh webinar uh, with over 500 people from over 80 countries, uh, wow. in- including countries that may not necessarily have diplomatic relationships uh, with Israel or the United States. Uh, but because disabilities has no borders, we're talking openly and they're talking openly because the common goal is the good for all good for people with abilities and with disabilities. Um, So right now, um, we had plans. COVID obviously changed some of those plans. But uh, uh, so far, what we have uh, that we've accomplished is uh, two expedition groups up Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, We are working on a program to travel uh, through Israel. And Part of our list is to bring people here to the United States or from the United States to accomplish things that they never thought they would. So right now we're working on our third trip up Kilimanjaro. Um, And this one is going to be quite a unique expedition. But the uniqueness of this expedition is we are uh, doing a different route to see if it is accessible to the trekkers we used on the last route. And if it is, then the next trip will be up this route. This, there's, I think, eight routes up Kilimanjaro. Yeah, I've read that. So we are doing that. So how do how do people apply? Is it an application process? They apply to do that. Like, how do they connect with Friends of Access Israel? So it's a little of everything. Um, the The Kilimanjaro trip was literally a domino effect. Um, in terms of how people got recommended and how people joined and what they wanted to do. Um, And then they have to uh, get certain letters from their doctors as well, or we have to be, it has to be made clear to us that they are healthy enough to climb uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, It is not climbing Mount Everest, but you do have altitude and people who have any sort of unfortunate brain injuries due to war or explosions or car accidents and that, uh, it becomes very difficult for them to handle the altitude. And that is for anybody, anybody who has had any sort of injury uh, to the brain uh, or to the head uh, has an issue. Um, So literally we started with two, then it went to four, then it went to six, uh, the first trip. And we were at 26 of which uh, about 14 had some sort of disability, uh, whether it was cognitive or physical, um, cognitive including certain uh, PTSD issues that th- permit somebody not to uh, work because of their PTSD. Um, two people were had leg injuries, four people in, who uh, 
are have some sort of paraplegia uh, joined us, and we were at number 26, and I had made it clear that we're done. We can't take any more people. And I'm talking to the person in Kilimanjaro who runs our trips, who is learning a tremendous amount about accessibility. And I said to him, hey, Sabi, my brother, anybody in Tanzania who hasn't climbed to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro? He says, as a matter of fact, he thought for a minute, he says, as a matter of fact, uh, my parents have a neighbor who was a great high school athlete, had some sort of virus, uh, and he became paralyzed from the waist down. A lot of his family are uh, guides on the mountain. He lives close to Kilimanjaro. I'm sure he would love to climb. And then the following day, we had a, uh, a Zoom call with him, or it may have been FaceTime, whatever, WhatsApp. And we invited him, and he was number 27. We were very excited about that. And then we started having calls, Zoom calls, so that the team could meet each other. Uh, because we had people from all over the United States, from Israel, from Tanzania, uh, so that on that day when we arrived in Tanzania, everybody basically recognized each other, knew each other, knew each other's stories. Get it, putting it together was incredible, but being at the airport and meeting everybody and and uh, obviously more emotional with my wife arriving. My wife, my wife, uh, I married her. She really didn't know much about sports and. God blessed us with two sons that suddenly wanted to, thanks to me, wanted to play ice hockey. So she had to learn sports quickly, then started running marathons because I was running marathons. And now she had, I don't know, about three years ago, had a, uh, a knee problem, went to the doctor. And on the first line of uh, the doctor's uh, report, it says, you know, Mara Lassner, an athlete. And I'm like, there you go. 25 years later, you're an athlete. So I was thrilled, obviously, and emotional to see my wife. And then the concept that, you know, we have these four trekkers that are going to conquer 19,341 feet was just beyond, beyond, beyond. So I was already pre-emotional during the event itself. And what does it mean for, I mean, for you, it has to, you know, be just so great seeing all of this play out in the work that you do and it all come together. But what does it mean for some of these, um, uh, you know, travelers that might, um, may not otherwise have ever been able to do something like this? I mean, obviously they can speak for themselves and, and the articles that they have uh, been interviewed on and written and so on uh, speak for themselves. But f- from my standpoint, um, I viewed it as anybody who wanted to climb Kilimanjaro, and we just made it more of a yeah, you can if you just you know do it together. And, and our mantra is accessible together. I love that. And um, you ask the people with abilities, disabilities. Um, you know, one of the great quotes basically was from our Israeli. Uh, an Israeli gentleman by the name of Arnon Amit, who uh, was paralyzed in a car accident. Um, One of the happiest people I've met, just happy-go-lucky. And he just turned to me and and said what I said earlier. You and I have everything in common, one difference. I'm in a wheelchair, you're not. Um, But we're going to do this. And uh, the people that made it to the top said they couldn't have done it without the other, whether it was uh, somebody in a trekker, whether it was somebody who had a a severe leg injury, um, they couldn't have done it without each other. 
Uh, and that is the, the, the same sort of feeling that was on the second trip um, as well, that they couldn't have done it without each other. Um, and the, and the, the ability to access something uh, that otherwise all 27 would have never accessed without the pushing of the other group. You know, I've run the New York Marathon three times. Yeah, there are other people there and we're all trying to get to the finish and we're all yelling and screaming. When, but when push comes to shove, we're not a team. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not together. We're not with the same goal. And in uh, the New York City Marathon, if I drop out, I get into a subway and I come home. You drop out on Kilimanjaro, which was the painful part for me. I was the first one to drop out. So I had 26 people on the mountain and then somebody else came down. But I had to drop out because of uh, a reaction to one of the medicines which you have to take for altitude. But then I became, you know, worrisome. I accomplished getting people to the top of a mountain and could not wait to hear their story. I can imagine. Well, why is climbing Mount Kilimanjaro on your bucket list? Why is that important to you? So, um, as I mentioned earlier, that um, I was injured on 9-11. I had severe knee injury and since have had uh, five more knee surgeries and one elbow surgery. Um, for me, conquering Kilimanjaro is con con conquering something other than Everest. Um, and certainly after some of, uh, you know, you read about Everest, uh, you have to get online and you pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. This is not a thousands and thousands of dollars. This is similar to doing something, uh, you know, some sort of a cruise or something here in the United States um, with some fundraising, obviously. Um, but it, it's doable if you train. So I said to myself, look, if I've done marathons with a brace on, I can do Kilimanjaro. The only difference between a marathon and Kilimanjaro is you're dealing with altitude. Um, and altitude is basically thinner air, lower oxygen levels. Um, and if you don't take medicine and you don't acclimate, um, you run into trouble. Uh, in my case, it was the medicine that reacted, uh, I didn't react well to, uh, dropped my blood pressure to the point that I really couldn't stand without having the urge to lie down. Um, so I so dropped. How far out. did you? How far did you make it the first time? Uh, I made it to about nine thousand feet. Uh, so I made it to the second day, and then came down mm -hmm. with, which is a crazy story. Also, just to give you an idea of me versus my amazing guide. Uh, everybody has their own guide. We're very careful about that. Safety comes first. Uh, so I had a guide. He walked me down, took me to the hospital, which is a story in itself. The hospital there. Um, I had three bags of IV. Uh, told my wife uh, to continue on because one of us had to finish. If we both came yeah. to Tanzania, one of us had to finish. And that she would hear that I was okay uh, because there is very little cell service. Somehow or another, we got cell service. I told her uh, five hours later, I'm back at the hotel. I've had three bags of IV. I'm fine. I'm going to continue drinking water. No beer. Don't worry or anything like that. And I go to sleep. Following morning at five o'clock in the morning, Amari, who was my guide taking me down to the hospital, calls me up and said, I'm going back up to meet them, but you have to come down now because I'm going up. I need to grab some more equipment for some of the trekkers because one of the trekkers broke down. So I get out of bed. I go downstairs. We open up the uh, security safe room where we have our boxes. I pull out the equipment he needs and I give it to him. Two and a half late hours later, I get a text from him from 10,000 feet. He was only driven up to 3,000 feet. He got the equipment, 
to 10,000 feet and texts me a photo with his arm around my wife with a thumbs up that he's up there. So these guys are in insane shape. Uh, and Amari is my man. I mean, he is just remarkable how he did it. I still don't know how he did it. I said, helicopter? He goes, no, I really made it up. And then when you watch these guys and how they operate and how they work and how they carry things, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. I just can't even believe it. So I will never climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I have, I have no athletic ability, really. But I, I can't tell you how impressed I am with people that put in the um, the training. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's physical, it's mental, it's it kind of, you know, all the preparation um, that's required uh, for someone to, <clears throat> for someone to be able to um, make the trek and, uh, and reach the top. It's absolutely um, incredible. So, um, I was interviewing Ruth, as we said, when we started in the podcast a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, and she was telling me about you and that you had provided an opportunity for one of the employees at Shenga, Masood. I want to hear from your perspective about meeting Ruth and how you got involved with Masood his trek up and now where you are to this point with your um, uh, journey that you're going to do. Is it in August? Is that right? Uh, the, the journey is in August. And I will say that, Polly, never say never. You may go in <laughs> August. You'd be surprised what you can do, Polly. Um, I'm just going to come along with you. <laughs> you can come along with us and meet us. We, we, we may actually have somebody coming for the last part. Um, and meeting us at the 4,000 foot mark, which is fairly comfort comfortable and walking down with the team after we've completed it. And then we do a safari for two days because they don't want us getting on a plane right away after coming down from altitude. But the story of Shanga is the story of your podcast, Polly. It is a domino effect. You meet somebody who introduces you to somebody who introduces you to somebody. Um, so this one is uh, a moving story. Uh, so hold on to your seats. Uh, definitely one of one of the more moving ones, and I'll I'll try to try to not get moved myself. Um, so I'm climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. I speak to the gentleman I work with at the school to tell him that we're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, uh, he's a, a, a principal of the school that I worked at, and he said, uh, "You know, I know somebody in my community that was just in Tanzania." Mm -hmm. Maybe you should speak to her. I said, okay, great. I'll speak to her. And I call uh, I call her um, and I go, you know, hope all is well. I get off the phone um, with uh, the principal of our school who had just told me to contact uh, this woman in, in New Jersey. So I call her up. I go, hi, my name is Jamie Lassner. Hi, Stephanie. Nice to meet you. Uh, oh, nice to phone meet you. Um, we're going to Tanzania. He goes, oh, really? We just came back from Tanzania. Um, there is a small Jewish community there, and we just brought them a Torah, which is a Bible, and we donated it there. Um, you should go see them, and you should go see this Shanga village. I said, excuse me, what's, what's a Shanga village? What is that? He goes, well, it's a, quite a unique village, um, and it started as a recycling facility and it turned into a facility that employs keyword employs 
these are people, uh, employs people with disabilities. That means they're under contract and they get paid for the hours they, they work there. And they do incredible work. I mean, I've seen it firsthand being in um, Arusha at uh, the um, workshop or in, in shop and their work is just unbelievable. Um, basically, Stephanie said you should go see it. So come down from Kilimanjaro. We have a big dinner. We go for a day of safaris on a second day. We go to Shanga Village. And I mean, I, I could literally describe every aspect of it from getting off the bus to walking on the white stones, uh, walking onto the sidewalk, and then suddenly you walk into this art gallery. And each of the the rooms of this art gallery are people uh, with tremendous ability, tremendous ability, but they have a disability. Uh, but you see through that. You see, and I immediately said, I'd, you know, who, who runs this place? And they had a translator. And they said, oh, there's a woman by the name of Ruth. Um, you know, you should meet her. I said, yeah, I would love to meet her. And two minutes later, they introduced me to to the angel of Arusha, uh, Ruth. She is kind of like an angel. She is what 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 she 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 left Australia uh, to work in Arusha to do this, and she is. I think they call her Mama or something like that. She is she is adored by all within Shanga Village, and she is adored by anybody and everybody who meets her. Um, you can't but adore this woman. Um, she is she is angelic uh, in everything that she does. So she invites me into her office and uh, I sit down and it's like an office like you and I have and you can hear the working go outside. She closes the door and we start to talk. And I said, you know, do you mind if I videotape and you tell us a little about Shanga? Because what is unique here is um, they employ their people just like you and I would be employed. And the way it should be. Everybody should have a, a, a job. Uh, and she explains what everybody's job is uh, and what they do and, you know, a little about some of the disabilities that she has uh, within the facility. And with about, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes left to our trip, I turned to her. I said, you know, look, uh, and this is obviously before COVID started. I turned to her and I said, is there anybody here in Shanga Village that would like to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? And she looks at me and she says, you know, Jamie, I've got to be honest with you. Um, we've had many people come through here and ask similar questions and promise. I said, let's do this. I see you have an iPhone. I have an iPhone. I will video what I'm about to say. I said, if you have somebody here, she I think we, we actually have a video somewhere. I said, I of access. Oh, I do have the video. I could ask, as a matter of fact, I know exactly. I of access Israel will find sponsors to get Masood to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. I don't want his family or anybody, Tanzania or outside of Tanzania, to make fun of his small stature that he can't accomplish things. He can accomplish, and he's going to climb with us this August. She said, okay, fine, that's great, whatever. I said, I'd like to meet him. Now, again, what are the chances? I only took one picture of before I met uh, Ruth. And it was of Masood doing his drawing and cutting. So I, I meet Masood. I, we sit down on a couch. I talk to him for a couple of minutes through a translator. 
for our listeners that might uh, not have heard uh, the podcast about Masood, he is uh, a he is two and a half or feet tall, right, or three three feet. He's what's called a small person. He is a small person, uh, but he has uh, the most ginormous, if there's such a word, heart and smile. Smile, just infectious smile. So he sits between Ruth and I, and this is on video, and I can send you the video, Polly. You know, I said uh, we've accomplished much here, and I don't want to between I don't want to be between somebody and their dream. Uh, and Masood has expressed his desire to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, um, and he will be joining the Friends of Access Israel team this August. Uh, everybody got excited, and. I will describe this as best as I can on a podcast, but the video is much better. I turn to him and I make a, a muscle. I flex my arm muscle and I say, you know, you really have to train. And he turns to me and says some, something in Swahili, does a headstand, stands on his hands, and then starts doing push-ups while he's doing a headstand, a handstand. So obviously I look like a total... <laughs> idiot because here I am telling him he has to train and he is super strong. The incredibly moving. Come back to the United States. Um and the first week or two my wife is wearing new jewelry and I'm sitting there going, hmm, where'd you get that jewelry? And she said, Shanga. I go, that's really spectacular. And then I see I think we had a glass. Where's that glass from? Where'd we get that? She goes, Shanga. And I'm sitting there, I spend so much time in the office I didn't get to see the beauty of what they do within Shanga. I saw the beautiful people. I met and got to speak to several beautiful people. And then we started, um, I spoke to Ruth two or three times to solidify the trip. And then COVID struck. And and that hit me hard, uh, not the the virus itself, but the whole concept because it's came put everything on hold. And as, as difficult it is for us, you know, people with disabilities can't get out as easily as you and me. Uh, so it makes it much, much more difficult. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what do you do? What do you do? And then uh, I spoke to Stephanie again, who had introduced us to Shanga Village. And I said, you know, this is an amazing place. And we have this guy, Masood, who we want to climb. Um, and hopefully this summer. And, you know, I just left it alone came up with the idea to do a virtual climb of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, we know that the round trip is approx approximately, depending on which path, about 29 to 30 miles. And we offered it to anybody who wants to join this virtual climb, basically to walk 29 miles over a period of 30 days. Um, and all they have to do is, I think, pay uh, $50 or $70. If they want to raise funds, they can as well. And, uh, and join us. And with that, I get a call from Stephanie saying she has a daughter, Sammy, who is another angel, just an amazing young lady who I have learned so much, so much from. And that's an important thing, an important lesson in life, uh, certainly for adults that you can learn from the young as well. And she basically said that I, uh, I can make, I make bracelets um, and I'd like to make a Masood bracelet. And anybody who buys the Masood bracelet has to send money to you. You let me know who they are, or they send money to me, and then I'll make a donation. And I want to sponsor Masood's trip up Kilimanjaro. So now you can see the full circle. Stephanie introduces us to Shanga. 
Shanga, we decide to do this uh, this run uh, or this walk or this roll if you're in a wheelchair. Um, Sammy, Stephanie's daughter, decides she wants to do for her bat mitzvah, her coming of age uh, celebration. She wants to help somebody halfway around the world accomplish their goal. Now, um, heading back, wants to sponsor this person to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I said, you know, Sammy, that's wonderful, but I don't think we're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, but I appreciate, you know, I, I didn't want to take money when I didn't know that it was going to happen. She said, you know, no, we'll, we'll, we'll donate it when the time comes. And as things progress, the following day, I get a call from Ruth. Uh, somehow Sa uh, uh, Masood saw the posting about your virtual race. Masood wants to do that race here in Tanzania with a bunch of his friends here from Shanga Village uh, who live here, who work here. And he'll do the 29 miles here, which is about 18 kilometers. And that way he gets credit. So there he goes. He starts doing it and starts training and doing this trip. Again, with no, no realization of that we're going to have a trip. Comes August. I get a call from Sabi, who is our uh, um, guide, head guide, and who, who is learning a tremendous amount of accessibility. And he tells me, I have a team of two guys from Germany who want to climb. Do you want Masood to go up with them? I said, done. Let's do it. Uh, you know, I want to be there, but I, I have to make it happen. I promised Masood I want to make it happen. These two gentlemen from Germany, amazing, amazing guys. Both, uh, one's a cardiac surgeon, the other one is an anesthesiologist. Uh, so I didn't have to hire a medic. I had I had them there. Um, went to Tanzania, went to Shanga village and, and met Masood. Uh, prior to Masood's climb, we had a Zoom between uh, Ruth, Masood, a translator, Sammy and Stephanie. Uh, Sammy and her her mom Stephanie. Everybody said what they had to say, uh, and at the end, Mas Masood, you know, thanked Sammy. You know, we he, we received a video from Ruth of him on his way. Um, and the only request I had from my guide uh, Sabi is that my guide Amari, who was the one that came down with me and then uh, went up and. Uh, took care of everybody else, making it up to the top, go with him because I, I knew what I was dealing with and another gentleman who climbed as well uh, with them. Uh, and then the climb started and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not going to hear from them. I'm not going to hear from them. And then suddenly it must have been four o'clock in the afternoon here. I see my WhatsApp is ringing and it's one of the guys from the mountain. And I, you know, I was like, oh, God, what happened? And I'm like, Jamie, we have to think positive here, right? And I turn it on, and it's Masood, uh, Shani, and Amari in a tent at 10,000 feet, WhatsApping me, telling me they're having a great time. It's really, really going well. And uh, Shani, who was is one of the head guides, who gives out nicknames. That's his specialty. He loves giving out nicknames. He gave me the nickname uh, Faru, which is rhinoceros, because at the time I was 60 pounds heavier than I am right now. And I do have a, uh, a nice nose. So he gave me the nickname Faru. So I said, uh, what do you give him? What nickname did you give him? And they said, 
we call him Croc. I said, what animal is Croc? He goes, crocodile. We call him Croc. I go, why do you call him crocodile? And he says, because he's short in stature, but strong as a crocodile. Uh, come after the trip uh, and, and hearing from Ruth, there's a big celebration after the trip. Tanzanian press is there. Um, and I get a call and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still wondering about this crocodile nickname. And, you know, the doctor gets on and Ruth gets on and they said they couldn't keep up with him. This guy's got legs like you've never seen before. You know, the concern was because he's a little person or quote unquote, and this is one of the, the things that we try to teach, is it's important to get to know everybody. You know, a person with a disability, you, you can still talk to them. Um, they are like you and I, very much like you and I, and in many cases, uh, much better than you and I. And this is a gentleman who is uh, a small person, a million times more athletic than I'll ever be, and they had to keep up with him. So I had this misconception, and and I feel terrible about it, and I've told, and I've asked forgiveness from Masood, that because he's a small person, uh, the trip may be delayed. And I was very wrong about that. They kept up with him. And then the other thing that the, the doctor said is, there is no way we would have made it out up to the top without Masood. And then when talking to Masood, he said, there's no way I would have made it up to the top without these two doc knowing that these two doctors were with me. So we go back to accessible together. Masood celebrates and insists on having a Zoom. I think it was two days later. We get on a Zoom with Sammy. We're all speechless. I mean, we're just Masood is is flying high, so he's still on a very very big high. But I can imagine. I think, I, I think Ruth, myself, Sammy, and Stephanie we're holding back tears the whole time. I mean, we're just sitting there going, you know, A, how wrong we were in thinking or how wrong I was in thinking that Masood would slow us down. To the contrary, uh, he sped us up. And and what a heart this guy's got, you know. And since then, I'm thankful for Google Translate because he writes me the most beautiful, beautiful messages in Swahili. And I threw it, throw it into Google Translate uh, which does a very good job of translating. And then I write my message in English, throw it back in Swahili, and uh, I write back to him. One addendum. One addendum here, which is the most painful part and a lesson to all. Uh, we are blessed to live in the United States, and uh, Israel is blessed to, to live in a democratic country. Um, Tanzania has a long way to go. Simultaneously, um, at the same time that we were there, uh, a week later, Masood had asked members of parliament uh, if he could climb Mount Kilimanjaro. This is before he knew that we really were going, to, it was going to come through before COVID. Uh, and he has a picture of himself with members of parliament, and they basically said, no, it's not going to happen. Uh, you can't climb. There's no way you can climb. And, and frowned upon, which is was very painful for me to hear. Um, and as, as we say, the goal here was to get Masood to the top. But in many ways, we showed them. And we're going to continue to show the world that the world is accessible together. Mount Kilimanjaro is accessible together. Um, anything we want to do, if we find the right par partner, is accessible together. Certainly, uh, I'm not looking to accomplish uh, any other Mount Everest or anything like that. There's certain things on my bucket list. And people who want to accomplish things can find partners to do it with. Uh, regardless of their ability or disability. We fast forward now to this August. 
We are having our third expedition uh, up Mount Kilimanjaro. We have announced it already. We're going to watch COVID very carefully, uh, but we've announced it and more, more details will come out soon. But I have personally asked that my guide up Mount Kilimanjaro will be Masood. Incredible. It's so incredible. Masood is going to be your guide. Masood, my crocodile, is going to be my guide. Uh, I warned him he may have to carry me, so I told him I lost a little weight. But he will be my guide. He will be climbing again as a guide on our trip. Uh, of course, Amari and, and Shani will join us and Sabi and the, and the regular crew. Um, and the reason I want them to join us is because I want them to celebrate again climbing and helping others climb uh, who have a bucket list item to make it to the top there. Um, and it's not for everybody. But but it does require training and it does require like anything else. I, you know, I, I could say I want to do a marathon, but if you you know you've got to train and uh, and the expedition this summer, uh, which we'll be sending out further announcements out on, um, will be available for many. And we'll be doing many other things uh, that are you know uh, that are accessible via Zoom, social media, and via you know this wonderful podcast, which I've had the opportunity to listen to others. Um, and you bring out the best in people, Polly. You really do. But I will add that. Uh, Thank you for that. I, I pray. I pray that you have the opportunity to meet Ruth. She is. I mean, every time I, I talk about her, I get emotional. But she is a rock star. There are few people that I have met in my lifetime um, and that that have moved me the way she has. I like people that walk the walk more than talk the talk. This is a woman that walks the walk. She leads her troops. She does not stand behind them. She wants the very best for every single person there at Shanga. Um, she, she looks at them. She treats them as equals, even though she is the managing director, the boss. She doesn't act that way in any shape or form. Um, and so, so proud of the artistry of what they do. And, and I'm not, so I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not being sponsored by them, but I will tell you that, it, you know, you should visit their website, just beautiful, beautiful stuff made by people with the most incredible hearts. Well, Ruth is offering so much to, to Shinga and you are paving the way for people to have opportunities that never would have opportunities. Most likely if friends of access Israel weren't um, doing the great work. And I love that you saw so much in Masood that you asked him to be your guide. And I can't wait to follow the story. I hope that you will share that journey um, on your social media um, sites so that uh, we can follow along with you. And I'll um, let you share that um, when we wrap up. But I just I just am so excited to follow your journey and Masood's journey as your guide. That'll be so incredible. Well, you are most welcome to join us at the tail end and have a podcast with the two of us. We would need a translator there because <laughs> uh, he does speak English. He knows all the cool words. Um, but uh, he is he is Shanga. That, that, that whole vibe, that whole energy that is there um, cannot be bottled. I wish I could bottle it. 
because it's all positive, it's all love, it's all looking out for one another. Well, so what? So you're you'll be doing the um, the trek, and um, I know that you're going to make it this time. So what else is next for you or for Friends of Access Israel? So uh, as I mentioned, uh, I work in collaboration with our offices, uh, with our collaborative partner in Israel, uh, Access Israel. Um, so we have webinars every six weeks. Those webinars are uh, geared towards inclusion and accessibility. The next one is on technology um, and uh, applications and how to make them uh, from the uh, outset accessible. We've already had one webinar on accessibility in the workplace. Um, and when I'm talking webinar, um, it's a Zoom. It's unique because it is a Zoom. We look at a Zoom as a bunch of boxes and somebody can interrupt. No, it's not about that. It's about looking who else is out there in the world. And when one looks at our webinar, one can see people from all walks of life from the last seminar was over 500 people registered at a different point. We had up to 350 on at the same time from over 80 countries, um, all talking the language of inclusion and accessibility. So that webinar is next. Uh, that is on January 26th. I'll send you details about that if people want to register. Sure. Um, we probably will have some sort of fundraising virtual event. Uh, we did do Kilimanjaro. We did do the New York Marathon virtually because of COVID. It didn't take place. So we probably will have some vir virtual event. Uh, and then next month, uh, February, is it is a, an access, a month of uh, different uh, commemorations for accessibility. Uh, so we are probably going to have some sort of Zoom event with major speakers. Uh, so people from all over the world can join our Zoom and listen to an interview uh, of somebody involved um, in accessibility, inclusivity, uh, people with disabilities, people um, who have done miraculous things, or not necessarily miraculous, may be viewed as miraculous, and then you hear their story and you'll be wowed. So we will have approximately 20, uh, 20 it's, it's, it's in the works right now, but probably 20 interviews live, so you can ask your questions with people that are uh, movers and doers and walk the walkers uh, and wheel the wheelers um, in uh, accessibility and the inclusion zone. Uh, and then, and then uh, you know, obviously Kilimanjaro is in there and then we're working on our annual uh, conference in Israel, uh, which last year was um, virtual. This year we're looking to do a in person, but it all depends on the vaccination, if not some sort of a hybrid model, and that date will be announced in the weeks ahead. And then uh, the following year, we have uh, some plans to do something in Israel, where we're going to do something quite unique, which will uh, we'll share probably around our 9-11 podcast, uh, but, but it's in the works now, and it's, it's on the, the barometer of Mount Kilimanjaro-type climbing. Well, all of the work that you are doing, your heart for this, the work that you're doing um, for the organization, and you have such a, pe a 
personal connection um, to this and and you can just tell by your passion for it and the heart that you put in it. You're talking about how amazing Ruth is and she was speaking so highly of you as well. And so no doubt uh, that's the reason that you all hit it off and uh, connected so well. So uh, Jamie, if our listeners want to follow you um, or engage with you or connect with Friends of Access Israel, tell us how we do that. Um, the best way is to go to our website, which is faisr.org, uh, Friends Access ISR for Israel, which is the Olympic symbol, ISR.org. Uh, uh, and there you can go to our Instagram, our Facebook, uh, or you can send me an email at jamie at and I will gladly respond. Um, and if you want to join our email list, there's an opportunity to do so on our website as well. Well, I started off by saying Stories Connect People podcast focus on, focuses on people who are making the world a better place, and you are absolutely doing that. And so I want to thank you for being a guest today on the podcast and sharing your story and the story of Friends of Access Israel. It's been so great having you. Polly, the thanks and the, the glory goes to you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.